Well, good morning. As Sharon said, today we are concluding our series called Imperfect Relationships. And throughout this series, we've been talking about three areas of relationships that each and every one of us have. First and foremost, our relationship with God. Secondly, our relationships within the church, within the body of Christ. And third, our relationships outside of the faith uh, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with our friends, with our family that are non-believers. And so we've been talking each week about those types of relationships. And today we're concluding that series. And so uh, with that said, I wanted to reiterate what Jesus's mission that he's called us to. And it can be summed up by the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the great commission says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, what does that mean? That means that everything about Jesus' calling, his great commandment, and his great commission is centered around imperfect relationships. See, it begins with our relationship with God. You and I are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And because we love God, we love others. And because we love others, we make disciples. And because we are Jesus' disciple, we reach out to people that are far from God. In week two of this series, Pastor Steve introduced us or talked to us about the, the passage in Luke 15 where Jesus tells three parables, three stories about three different cases, all telling the same theme, the same idea. And those three stories in Luke 15 really point to us and show us just how much God feels and what he, what, how he feels about people that are far from him. And each story has increasing intensity. The first story in Luke 15 is about a shepherd and a lost sheep. And it says that the shepherd lost, had, 90, had 100 sheep and he lost one. 99 and he lost one. But here's what the shepherd didn't do. The shepherd didn't say, well, I got 99. I mean, 1% loss ain't bad, right? No, what does he do? He's so distraught that he leaves the 99 in order to search for the one. The second story is about a woman who loses a very valuable coin. It's, it's a coin that she has. She has 10 of them. So now it's gone from one out of 100 to one out of 10. What does this woman do? She's so distraught over this lost coin that she literally tears her house to pieces apart just looking everywhere until she finds that lost coin. Third story is about a father who has a lost son. And that son didn't just go away. That son shamed his father, disrespected his father, told his father that I wish you were dead. He runs away and rejects his father. But here's what the father does. Instead of harboring any anger and resentment against his son, what does he do? He looks for and longs for his son to return. What is the point of all three of those stories? The point of all three of those stories is this, is that lost people matter to God. People that are far from God matter to God. People that are spiritually unresolved matter 
to God. In fact, Jesus sums up those stories in two verses, in Luke 15, 7 and Luke 15, I believe, 10. And he says this, just so, just so you're clear, just want to make sure that this is clear, right? I want to make sure that you understand these stories. He goes, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he goes on to say, so just so you know, in case you missed verse 7, let me tell it to you again in verse 10. He says, just so you know, I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Did you catch the weight of Jesus' words in those verses? He's saying, listen, he is saying there is more joy, that he gets more joy, that that the thing that causes him to rejoice the most is when one sinner gives their life to Christ, when one sinner is reclaimed, and that gives him more joy than the 99 that are righteous. Think about that. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there is literally nothing that we can do with the 99 that brings Jesus more joy than having the one rescued. We can care for, we can minister to the 99. But what brings Jesus the most joy is when that one is rescued. Guess what? Those of you sitting here, most of us are the 99. And it's the one that is reclaimed, the one that is rescued, the one that is redeemed that brings Jesus the most joy. So you've got to understand what he's saying. He is, he is showing us just how much people far from God matter to God. He's saying this is how much people that are spiritually unresolved matter to me. But I also want you to know, guess what? That's how much you matter to God. Because every single one of us in this room was once lost, and now we're found. That's how much he loves you. He would leave the 99 for you, and he did leave the 99 for you. And so Jesus is making this abundantly clear that, that he will do whatever it takes to reach people that are far from God. Now, the Apostle Paul shared this same sentiment. He had this same passion for reaching people that were lost, for reaching people that were far from God. In fact, Paul tells is going to show us in, 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 9 that he will do whatever it takes to reach people that are far from God, to reach people that are lost. And this has huge implications for our church. So in, in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19, it says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He says, to the Jew, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became myself, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside of the law, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, 
that I might win the week. And then the end of verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all. Listen to this. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them. Who are them? All, all people, that I might share with them, all the people that are far from God, in its blessings. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain the prize. What is this prize Paul is talking about? It is winning people to Christ. I don't think it's going to be on the screen, but I want you to just listen to the remaining verses. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable one. So do not run aimlessly. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Verse 27, but I discipline myself. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Why? Lest after preaching to others, after sharing the gospel, after proclaiming the good news of Christ, I, might, I myself should not be disqualified. That's why Paul ran his race. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul says, I am a servant to all. That word servant literally means slave. Paul's saying, I am a slave to all. Something else owns me. Something else masters me. And I am a servant. I am a slave to what? The mission that Christ has called him to. The mission of sharing the gospel. The mission of reaching people that are far from God. His desire to win people to Christ. His desire to share the good news of the gospel with others is what Paul said he is a slave to. He is a servant of. Then he compares winning people to Christ as running a race. Now listen, if you ever see me running, that probably means somebody's chasing me. And you should probably run too. But just know I'm going to run faster than you. I just want you to know that. I love you in Jesus' name, but I'm going to run faster if somebody's chasing me. But how many, any runners out there? Anybody run? We got one runner? Two oh, Yeah, no way. There's no way you run. No. No. Not, not, no, no, he doesn't run. Got one runner and one liar. So, okay, let's go on. <laughs> so here... Runners, if those of you who run, if you run, like you want to strip away everything that's going to hinder you from running, right? Like if you've ever, anybody seen a runner in your neighborhood? Anybody? Okay, you've seen runners. Like you don't see a runner running around with a, with a, with a uh, football helmet on or a, a motorcycle helmet on or running around in their cowboy boots. They don't do that. Why? They want to strip away everything. They want to get the best shoes, going to get, strip away all the burdens, the things that get in their way from running. And so what Paul is saying here is like, listen, the reaching the loss, reaching people for Christ is like running a race. And I am a slave to that mission. I've surrendered myself to that mission. And everything about everything I have, everything I do is surrendered to that goal. And I want to get rid of everything that hinders me from doing so. So what Paul is saying, he said, the grid for everything I do is whether or not it helps or hinders reaching people for Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want to get rid of anything that keeps people from, from 
from receiving Christ. I want to get rid of anything that hinders me. I want to put on everything that helps me reach people for Christ. And he says, I will do whatever it takes to reach people in the name of Jesus. So what does that mean for freedom? What does that mean for our church? What does it look like for you and I to do whatever it takes to reach our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family for Jesus Christ? What, is it, what does it look like for you and I to reach all people? What are those practical implications, those personal applications of this principle that Paul laid out in 1 Corinthians 9? That's what I want to talk about today. And the first implication, the first application that we have I see in this text is this is that our mission trumps our comfort. The mission. What is that mission? The great commandment and the great commission. Love God, love others, make disciples. That trumps our comfort. One of the things I've loved about, about pastoring freedom, and it's been, oh gosh, it's almost four years that I've been your pastor had the privilege of pastoring and leading this church. But one of the things I love is something that Pastor Alvin instilled in this church. And he said, this church will never say these words. We've never done it that way before. Like he instilled that, and I love that. Because out of my four years of pastoring this church, I've never heard those words. And the reason I've never heard those words is because Pastor Alvin wouldn't let you say those words. When he planted this church, he says, these are words that we will never say. I've never, we've never done it that way before. And that's never happened. And so what that means is that we are willing to try new things. We're willing to, willing to do new things. We are willing to make ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of reaching others for Christ. That's what that means. But we all know how sad it is that there are so many churches so many churches across our country and across our city and across our world that are unwilling to get uncomfortable in order to reach people for Christ. They're unwilling to change because change is uncomfortable. They're choosing their traditions over reaching their grandkids. And that's a sad, sad state. As a matter of fact, I was uh, in this church several, several years ago and I was serving as a teaching pastor and we had a couple of campuses and and, uh, and this woman comes into my office irate. I mean, she was, she was madder than a wet hen. I mean, she was angry. I don't think I've ever seen anybody as angry as this woman. She comes into my office, and she points her finger right at me, and she goes, You, you and all of these other pastors at this church have ruined my church. And I said, Well, Karen, sit down. Karen wasn't her name, but Karen was who she was. I said, Karen, have a seat. First and foremost, this is not your church. This is Jesus' church. And you know what? This is not, freedom is not my church. This is not your church. This is Jesus' church. But I said, Karen, first of all, this is not your church. Second of all, how have we ruined your church? And she said to me, you guys have allowed those people to come into our church. Who are those people? Those people with tattoos. Those people with, that wore jeans when they preached, I guess. I don't know. Those people were people that were lost. 
Those people were people that had a story. Those people were people that didn't have it all together, that didn't put on this facade of having their lives together. It was those people that were getting baptized. It was those people that were giving their lives to Christ. And she said, you have ruined our church because of those people. And I looked at Karen and I said, Karen, I am so sorry, but this church is for those people. Jesus' church is for those people. Freedom Bible Church is for those people. And the reason we're for those people, because every single one of us are those people. Now, I know it's, it's, it's easy for us to, to be in shock and awe of, of someone saying those things. But here's the reality. That we have to be careful. Because though we're modern, though we're contemporary, that those people mentality is so easy to creep in. And the way it creeps in, because none of us in this room are going to say, well, we're not going to reach those people. But what it does, the way it creeps in in a church like ours is that we don't like being uncomfortable. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of reaching Christ, people for Christ? And so let's make it, I want to make this really real for a minute, all right? Because Paul actually illustrates this 1 Corinthians 9 principle. By having Timothy circumcised. Now Timothy had a Jewish mom and a Gentile dad. Which meant that he grew up uncircumcised. Which was a no-no for a Jew. And so what would happen is Paul and Timothy would go and they would share the gospel in, in city after city. And they would plant churches in city after city. Each of these cities consisted of Gentiles and Jews. Well the fact that, that Timothy was, was half Jewish and uncircumcised became a stumbling block for the Jews in hearing about Christ. And it became difficult for them to hear the gospel because they couldn't understand why Timothy had not been circumcised. And so here's what Paul does. Paul says, listen, according to the gospel, Timothy does not need to be circumcised. Being circumcised is not a requirement for salvation. According to the gospel, this is unnecessary. However... In order to remove all obstacles for the gospel, Paul had Timothy, a grown man, circumcised. Talk about having skin in the game. <laughs> Timothy did. Wow. Now... I say that story because, church, we have to be uncomfortable. Or we have to be comfortable about being uncomfortable. When it comes, yeah, you're uncomfortable with that story, but, <laughs> but we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable when it comes to the mission of reaching people that are far from God. Why? Because the mission is not about us, it's about our neighbors, it's about our coworkers. It's about our friends and our family that are far from God. That's what the mission is about. And so the first thing that I want us to see is that our mission must trump our comfort. The second thing is this, and it is that we must grow deep and reach wide. We want to grow deep 
and reach wide. Now, I know all of you have heard have had criticisms and, and have heard criticism of churches. That, you know, that church, it's an it's a, it's a inch deep and a mile wide, right? Have you heard that stuff? Well, listen, church, I want us to grow deep. I want us to grow deep in our relationship with God. I want us to grow deep in our understanding of the gospel. I want us to grow deep in our love for people both inside and outside the faith community. I want us to grow deep in those areas. And my goal, our goal as a church, is to make disciples and not converts. What does that mean? That I want you to grow in your relationship with Christ. That's why majority of the time when we teach here, we teach through books of the Bible so that we can understand what God's Word says within the context that He said it. And so next Sunday, we start uh, our study of Galatians. And Galatians is an incredible, incredible book about our, us growing deep in our understanding of the gospel. And so that's why we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to teach through books. But here's what I want us to understand from Jesus' parable in Luke 15. Is that there's nothing that you and I can do with the 99 that brings Jesus as much joy as reaching the one. Which means that as we focus on growing the 99, we must never, ever lose the priority of reaching the one. So we want to have deep worship. We want to have deep teaching. But we must never, ever lose the priority of reaching the one. See, I believe what people that are far from God are wanting to see, they're wanting to see what we're really about. They want to know, what does the Bible actually say? What is truth? What, is, what are all these things? That's why we want to teach Scripture the way God intended, the, the way that God wrote it. We want to teach through books. We want to teach through passages. We want to do that type of thing. Um, and, and we want to help people grow deep, but we also never want to lose the priority of reaching the one. Because here's the reality. That if believers say they grow deep without reaching wide, probably not as deep as they think they are. If we're only growing deep without reaching wide, we're not as deep as we think we are. You see, growing deep, growing deep in the gospel always makes us reach wide for the gospel. So I want you to understand that. Growing deep in the gospel, growing deep in our relationship with Christ, growing deep always causes us to reach wide for the gospel. And if it's not, that means we're not deep. God never intended for this church or any church to be a stagnant pond where all we do is receive, receive, receive. No, God designed his church. God designed each and every one of us to be a river through which the gospel flows out to others. Third principle that I see here is this, that we must reach all people in our community. We have to be willing to reach all people because we are all people. We are those people. What does that mean? That means that every single lost person in our community and in our world matters to God. Every single one of them. 
Reaching all people means reaching all kinds of people. Reaching all people means reaching people that are like us. It means reaching people that are different from us. It means reaching every walk of life, every socioeconomic class, every ethnic group, every lifestyle choice, every political party. When Jesus gave his great commission and he told his disciples, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all people. What that word, what that literally, the, the Greek word is panta ethne, panta ethne, which means all people groups. And encompassed in that is every tribe, every ethnicity, every language, every, every section of culture, and every group of people. And when Paul went to Corinth and he planted the church in Corinth, what Paul did not do is plant the first Jewish church on one corner and the first Gentile church on the other corner. He didn't do that. What did he do? He planted one church. And then he brought Jews and Gentiles together. And then he wrote letters like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and told them how to live together in a community of faith. One of the things that should tick every single one of us off is the fact that Sunday mornings are the most segregated hour of each and every one of our weeks. God never intended for that. In fact, Paul told the church in Ephesus that there is something beautiful and something mysterious and something glory, glory, that, that brings glory to the gospel when a group of people from all different walks of life, all different ethnicities, all different, different, different um, cultures come together and though they have very little in common culturally, they have everything in common under the banner of Christ. And there is something magical and beautiful about the church when that happens. And Paul wrote that to the church in Ephesus. He says, when we have little in common culturally, but everything in common in Christ, that's when the beauty of the church and the gospel is displayed to the world around us. 1 Corinthians 9 Paul gives these examples of how he was willing to do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. But here's what I want you to recognize and notice. Every single one of those examples are cultural. They're all cultural. Look what he says. He says, to the Jew, in verse 20, I became like a Jew. What does that mean? He did Jewish things. He ate Jewish food. Those are cultural he says he entered into Jewish struggles, identified with the Jewish people. He made Timothy get circumcised. Those are all cultural things. Then he says, those under the law became as one under the law. Technically, Paul was free from the Jewish law because he was in Christ. And yet, he says, because I wanted to reach those that were following the law, I respected their traditions. I followed their protocols. I adapted to their community as much as I possibly could. That's cultural. He says, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. In other words, he didn't go to Gentiles and say, listen, guys, for me to fellowship with you, you need to follow all these Jewish rules. No. He says, I'm not going to make them adapt to my culture. I'm going to adapt to theirs. And that's part of the problem. So often in the church, we want people outside of the church to adapt to our culture instead of us adapting to theirs. But Paul says, listen, in order to reach people, I'm going to adapt to their culture. I'm going to engage in their culture. And Paul ultimately says that I became all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. 
He did it so that he could reach people for Christ. What was the, one of the biggest complaints about Jesus by the Pharisees? That he was a friend of sinners. How do you become a friend of sinners? How about hanging out with them? It's not that difficult. You hang out with them. You spend time with them. You go to parties with them. You have meals with them. That's what Jesus did. And because Jesus did that, he became a, known as a friend of sinners. Listen, every single one of us in this room should become friends of sinners. And just look at your neighbor. They're just a sinner saved by grace. So start there, but now say, okay, who are those sinners not saved by grace? Let me go befriend them as well. See, Jesus didn't just die for Republicans. He didn't just die for Democrats. He didn't just die for conservatives. He didn't just die for liberals. He didn't die for people just like you. He didn't just die for people different from you. He died for all people in all stages of life. Which means, in order to reach people, we have to be willing to enter into their world. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything they believe. Doesn't mean we have to agree with all of their lifestyle choices. Doesn't mean any of that, but it does mean that we need to listen. It does mean that we need to try to understand. It does mean that we need to become their friend, first and foremost. That's what that means. Um, for those of you who've ever been in my office, there's a if you go if you walk in my office, there's a verse on the on the wall as as big of letters as I could possibly uh, get it painted on the wall, and and it, it, the verse is Acts fifteen nineteen, and every time I look at that verse, it is a reminder to me that we need to do whatever we can to remove obstacles, to remove barriers and any unnecessary divisions that prevent the gospel from being proclaimed. And Acts 15, 19 says this, we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. I wish that I could have that, that verse pop in every single Christian's head before every conversation, before every interaction, before every Facebook post, before anything we ever do, that we would not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. How do we make it difficult for people who are turning to God? We put our politics before the gospel. We put our preferences before the gospel. That's the way we make it difficult for people who are turning to God. We expect people to tra change their lives before coming to Christ as opposed to loving them and, and just the way they are, which is the same way Christ loves you and the same way Christ loves me. That's how we make it difficult. Listen, church, we have a gospel too precious and a mission too urgent to let anything stand in the way. Fourth and final thought is this. The implication of 1 Corinthians 9 is that all of us must take responsibility for the mission. 
Paul was writing this as an example to the Corinthians of how they should live. And he used himself as an example. He wasn't just saying that I'm the only one that's going to become all things to all people. He says, no, we all should become all things to all people that we might reach some. And perhaps this may be the most important truth that we hear all all weekend is that, that doing whatever it takes to reach people for Christ means that you, it means that I must take responsibility for reaching people for Christ. God's plan A, we talked about this last week, God's plan A for reaching the world with the gospel is that we, the church, each and every one of us would carry the gospel where we live, work, and play, that we would take responsibility for reaching people for Christ. That's God's plan A, and there is no plan B. There is no other plan. The reality is, church, our greatest mission field for this church is our neighborhoods, our cul-de-sacs, our streets, our offices, our schools, our kids' sports teams, our gyms, those places where we live, work, and play. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Okay, quite a few of us have been on a mission trip. If you've ever been on a mission trip, what you typically do is you go to another city or another country, and, and you go there for the purpose of carrying the gospel, right? And so, like, every time I've been on a mission trip, and I've been on several, I, I wake up every morning on that mission trip, and I'm, I'm excited about sharing the gospel with people that I come in contact with. I'm excited about sharing God's love with them. And, and so I wake up with that intention every single day. And on a mission trip, that's the purpose. And you're like, man, this is awesome. I get to go and share the gospel today, whether it's through, through uh, service projects or whether it's through actual going uh, evangelism one-on-one. Whatever the, the, whatever the means, we get excited about sharing the gospel with people that are far from God. Listen, church, we don't need a mission trip to do that. Where God has you on the map is where God has called you to be on mission. So guess what? Tomorrow, you are going on a mission trip. And you're not leaving Evans, Georgia. But you're going wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play. That is your mission trip. That is my mission trip. And we go on it every single day. Because where... God has put you on the map is where God has put you on mission. And it's so important that we understand and we grasp this. And I, listen, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are going, Eric, well, it's just not my gifting. Okay. The good news is that Jesus didn't say it had to be. Because here's the reality. The moment Jesus called you to follow him is the moment God put you on mission. Because what did Jesus say? He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the gifting is not your responsibility. That's God's. He said, I'm going to make you. I'm going to transform you. You just come follow, and I will make you a fisher of men. And so the moment you and I followed Jesus is the moment we were commissioned to go. It's not a special gifting for some. This is a mandate and a calling for all of us. The Great Commission 
This idea of making disciples, of carrying the gospel, is an everyday commission given to every believer in Jesus Christ for every moment of every day because people matter to God. And because people matter to God, they should matter to us. Now, I know some of you are going, okay, Eric, I get it. It's not, it's not about a calling, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I may not have the right answers. I don't have all the, I don't have all the answers. That's what happens, right? When we start talking about this, we, we freeze up. Here, here's what I want you to know. Listen, all, all God wants you to do is be willing to have conversations. It is not our responsibility to lead someone to Christ. I want you to hear that. It is not our responsibility to lead others to Christ, to make them believe. It's our responsibility to share the good news. That's it. We just, want, we just have to share the good news. It's up to God to convict. It's up to God to lead them to the decision of following Christ. We simply just share the good news. We simply just have conversations. We just don't make it difficult for people to turn to God. So what does that look like? I want to close with two ideas, two thoughts that may help us. And we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks because Paul's going to lay out in Galatians 1, um, the second half of Galatians 1, uh, a model for us. But, but here's, here's, here's what I want us to first and foremost think is, is that we can invite and we can tell our story. That's where we begin. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to, to invite people into a conversation, to invite people to church, to invite people to your small group. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do any of that stuff. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to tell your story. Why? Because it's your story and no one else's story. Let me ask this. How many of you were invited to church, whether it be Freedom or any other church, and you attended? And that's, that's how you came to know Christ. All right, keep your hands up. But how many of you were invited into a spiritual conversation that ultimately led you to come to Christ? Here's the reality. Every hand should go up at that point because either whether it was our parents, whether it was someone else, they invited us, they made us go to church, they did something, or they invited us into a spiritual conversation that led us to the point where we began to believe in Christ. See, an invitation whether it's an invitation to church, whether it's an invitation to your small group, whether it's an invitation to your home for a meal, whether it's an invitation to a spiritual conversation, is the most powerful way that you and I can reach people with the gospel. I read a study just recently that 82%, 82% of people that are spiritually unresolved with pe are people that are far from God, with people that are unchurched, 82% of them are likely to attend church, small group, meal, have a conversation. 82% of them are likely to attend if they were invited. Here's the problem. That same study found that only 2% of active church members regularly invite people to church, to their home for a meal, to their small group, to spiritual conversations. 
82% of our neighbors would say yes, but only 2% of us are inviting. That's where we begin. Begin by making those invites, but also tell your story. And one of the greatest ways to tell your story is to invite someone to tell you theirs. There's not one person I've said, hey, man, tell me your story, that didn't follow that up with, hey, I'd love to hear your story as well. And by doing that, by telling, letting them tell their story, what are you doing? You're practicing the 1 Corinthians 9 principle. You're becoming all things to all people. You're entering into their world. And you're not telling them how their story is wrong, how their path is idiotic. You're not telling them what a moron they are. No, you're saying, I want to hear your story. I want to know you. And then as you get to know them, then they get to know you. And, and if you are a follower of Christ, that should be a major part of your story. The fact that you follow Jesus. So make invitations. Tell your story. And here's the reality. That until we as followers of Jesus get serious about inviting and telling our story. Until we get serious about that, this church will not, will not grow. People will not be baptized. Lives will not be changed. And we will become a stagnant pond. And if you've ever been around a stagnant pond, they stink really, really bad. But church, we can become a flowing river full of life that is vibrant, that is seeing lives changed, that is seeing families restored, that is seeing transformation after transformation after transformation. If only we would get serious. Get serious about the gospel. Get serious about inviting. And get serious about telling our story. Let's pray. Church, this is the, the mission that Jesus has called us to. And it's a mission that he's given every, each and every one of us to be gospel carriers. To share the good news of, of Christ both through our words and through our deeds. And I know right now that God is placing on many of your minds someone, some person that you need to invite. You need to invite into a conversation. You need to invite over to your house for a meal. You need to invite to church. It's that person where you work or where you live or a family member or a friend that is, that is far from God, that's spiritually unresolved. And right now, in this moment, God is placing that person on your mind. And my encouragement right now is just begin to pray for them. Lift them up to Jesus. Ask God to give you the opportunities to invite, the opportunity to tell your story. And if you're here this morning, if you're watching online and you've never, you don't have a story to tell because you've never placed your faith in Christ, here's what I want to remind you of, that Jesus left the 99 for you. He left the 99 for you. And you turning your life to Jesus 
believing in his death, his burial, and his resurrection as being sufficient for your salvation, believing in that, confessing him as Lord, trusting in him, brings him more joy than anything else that this church can do. And if that's you, just say to him, I believe right now. I believe. I trust you now. And so, Father, help us to take this mission seriously. Help us to become like Paul and be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. Be willing to have those uncomfortable moments where we may invite somebody and they say no. We may invite somebody into a conversation and they're like, I'm not interested. But help us to be willing to become all things to all people that that we might reach some. Help us to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I want to tell you about an opportunity. When you walked in, you probably got this uh, this uh, flyer. But uh, we're going to um, have an opportunity over the next uh, several weeks, beginning uh, on August 14th through September 25th, we're going to collect items uh, to help with the growing homeless problem in our community. Um, I don't know if you've been down Washington Road lately, but there's become an increasingly number of homeless people that we're seeing on our streets and on our roads. And so we, as a church, as it gets close to these winter months, we want to do something to help. And, uh, and so we're going to collect items. There's a list of items out in the lobby. I, include, I encourage you to, to uh, fill out some items that you'd like to collect. And so we want to be able to minister to these uh, folks that are, that are struggling, that are homeless. The least of these, as Jesus said. And so I just encourage you to, to participate as one act of showing the love of Christ. But also continue to pray. And I even invite you during this next moment of worship. If God's laying someone in your heart, come pray for that person. Pray at the altar. Make your chair where you're sitting an altar. And just begin to pray that God would open the door. Paul constantly asked churches to pray. Open, give us opportunities. Open doors for us to share the gospel. Make that your prayer as we worship him this morning. Thank you.